0: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingus,
1: number one in its field.
0: For those who didn't have the good fortune to know the late Max Lees, let me assure you to meet his son Chris is like meeting Max at the same age. Chris is of similar build to his late father. He has the same quiet persona and he trains thoroughbred horses with the same degree of skill that took Max to the upper echelon of New South Wales trainers. Chris was around his dad's Broadmeadow stables from the toddler stage and was just six years old when Max was training the champion Luskin Starr. When Max Lees passed away in 2003, much too soon at age 63, young Chris was confronted with a huge job a job that he has handled with great distinction. 17 or 1,800 winners, 15 Group 1s are ample testimony to the fact that Chris Lees, just like his dad, is among the elite of Australia's training ranks. Great to have you on the podcast, young Chris. Thanks for your time.
1: Great to be here, Tappy. Thank you.
0: Ray Wallace was your next-door neighbour, wasn't he? He was only a couple of doors away And whenever your dad couldn't go to the races or didn't have runners, you got yourself there with Ray.
1: Yeah, I jumped in the car from a young fella, young age. Um, Ray was a very good horseman, but he only trained it. He was an old school; like trained nine or ten horses, more for the punt than Mm. than for the for big race success. And um, whereas Max's career was starting to take off with bigger numbers, so I jump in Ray's car and head to whether it be on Gosford or wherever the races were at, and Um, So I was a racing tragic from a very young age.
0: Ray Wallace was a renowned punter and he didn't mind setting one up for a little coup from time to time. And that love of the punt rubbed off on you a little bit in the very early stages.
1: Yeah, it did there for a while. Um, uh, Probably not the dumb thing now. When I was going to school, I I loved loved to punt and um, I had all these aspirations of being a bookmaker one day, which – Mm. Certainly, opposite of my father. He, he, some would say, he'd be flat out. beating the sun had come up. So, um, <laughs> but after after a while, that's um, when I um left school and started working the stables. Um, yeah, that that soon dissipated.
0: Yeah, you didn't like school at all, and you left one month into year eleven, and immediately sought employment in your father's racing
1: stable. Yeah, yeah, I, I started thinking I was going to go back and finish go through you. Through the year twelve, but um, knowing that I didn't have to be there, I think it started to churn a bit after that first month, and um, I' walked through the stables basically to get to school it was, it's on the other side of the track where we lived, Mer um, High, and um, I decided then that I, I'd had enough and um, started the next morning.
0: Around the time you started working for Max, a very good horse called Snippets came into the place. He'd won the first Magic Millions, he won the Brambles at Kembler, he ran fifth in a Golden Slipper, and he was then purchased by Mike Willisey and partners with a stud career in the pipeline. What do you remember of Snippets?
1: Yeah, I remember him very well. I I hadn't been working long. I actually strapped him when he first arrived, and um, he stayed with us when he raced in the Newcastle Slipper, but he was still trained by um, Sully Rogers at the time yeah. and the owners then made the decision to, to leave him with Max and he, we took him to um, Kembla where he was successful in the Brambles Classic and then he ran a very good fifth in the golden slippery lead at a pretty high tempo and was run down late, I think he ran fifth and um, then uh, the following week he ran in the size and um, Max got his way with a jockey change Pete Cook. Mm. Rode him and he he had a soft lead and he won quite comfortably, beat a really good fielder. Um I, I remember seeing the photo for years in, in our lounge room, of course mm. like um, marauding, boasting, I like sky chase Bose in, log on Arms
0: Yeah,
1: I can still see all them horses behind him, flotilla mm. in a in a really strong sized produce.
0: He won five all up for Max, three group ones. His Oakley plate win was a beauty.
1: Yeah, it was. He, he didn't. Uh, he raced in the lightning and, and in the new market either side of it, and he didn't go down the straight, Max thought near as well as he did around the bend. And, and in between, he ran in the Oakley Plate. I think he drew 17 alley, and he crossed and led. And I'm sure I think he broke the track record that day. So mm. he was uh, he was a brilliant sprinter.
0: Another lovely horse your dad trained in that era was Coronation Day, and what a good looking son of a gun he was. He was brilliant. But he was unsound. He only had twelve starts. He won five, couple of Group Ones. Larry Cassidy rode him in the George Main Stakes on Brother Jimmy's recommendation, and that was Larry's first Group One winner.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, remember it very well. Um, he was a really, real quality colt. Um, progressing nicely, won the Spring Stakes at Newcastle. Then he. Um, Jimmy indicated Daddy wouldn't be able to ride the weight. I think Jimmy um, rode rough rough habit in the race, and he, mm. he recommended Max put Larry on him, and um, and uh, he got the job done and won the George Main. The following week, Jimmy got back on and won the Spring champion Stakes on him.
0: Mm. Max trained a lot of nice mares. Flitter was one of them. She won nine races, including the Windfield Classic, as it was known then. She also won a Doomben Ten Thousand with Jim Cassidy up.
1: Yeah, brilliant mare. No, wasn't a lot of her. Um, a lovely, well-bred filly that uh, typical Arthur Baxter purchase. Mm. Back when we trained a lot of them type of horses, and um, she was probably the best of the mares. Max won five Coolmore classics, but I'd say she was. She had the most quality out of all of them. She, um, as you said, she wanted to do 10,000 brilliantly. She was a yeah.
0: top mare. These other four Coolmore winners were Satin Sand, Chlorophyll, Quicksilver Cindy and Shindig, which came from near last with a booming run. Looking back on those days uh, as foreman for your dad, was he tough? Chris, did he set the bar high? Did he offer advice or did you have to go and ask him for it?
1: Oh, you had to just pick it up. He wasn't one to – tough. No, I wouldn't say he was tough. You, know, we, we, you could get a spray, but um, he got over <laughs> it pretty quick too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as giving advice, I think you just have to watch and learn. I think with most good trainers, you know, if you, if you watch and mm. observe, you know, you, you pick up on little things and, and then it becomes second nature. Mm. In
0: 1996, you decided to take out your own trainer's licence. Dad obviously gave you two or three boxes. And uh, he wanted to see you start off under his guidance, I presume. So yeah. It, yeah, that how it happened? Yeah.
1: Well, it was that end, uh, it was around round period I remember vividly, I think, oh, I, I'm sure Lee Friedman got three months um, suspension and there was conjecture whether Richard Friedman could take over the stable, but he or, they tried to stop him, but he had a, he'd already had a trainer's licence. Mm. And I remember Michael Booty, who was the chief steward here at Newcastle, he recommended to Max, just in the case if anything ever went wrong, that you know, maybe your son/slash foreman should have a license. So, so I just had a license there without ever really any great desire to have horses in my own name.
0: Yeah.
1: And one of my best mates, Edward Frosby, um, his uncle Joe owned in Costa de Largo and costed the logo, and he said, um, mm. David Frosby had a lot of good horses. He bought a horse from New Zealand, he said, I want you to train it, and, um, and, um, I remember it vividly. She won her first start at Newcastle, so oh, it was a great thrill.
0: That was Cherokee Lass.
1: That's it. That's the one. She
0: was yeah. also your first runner.
1: First runner, that's exactly. Yeah.
0: 2003, and your dad was only 63 years old when he fell terminally ill, and it all happened so quickly, didn't
1: it? Yeah, it was It was a shock. Well, he, he hadn't been well. He had a heart attack in in April, and... Uh, but he, he recovered quite well, and we always noticed how much weight he was losing, but we put it down to him being very pedantic about his diet post-heart issue, mm. and um, but unfortunately he was diagnosed with um, liver cancer, and he passed away within 13 days of the diagnosis, which, mm. you know, was a, pretty shocking at the time. How
0: many horses were in the stable at that time?
1: Oh, I'd say around 60. Yeah. We had a a good stable, good strong stable, and um, probably farmed a few horses out being pre trained back in them days. Mm -hmm. But um, 60 under his own own care.
0: Now, what did the owners do? Did some go elsewhere or did they stick with young Chris Lees?
1: Everyone stuck. I think one horse moved. I've got to say, they were tremendously loyal. Max had some great owners. Uh, Some are still with me today. Um, But um, I was very fortunate. I suppose I, I. had a very good grounding, and I'd been with him by his side for, for most of that last you know, 15, 20 years. So it was a reasonably smooth transition, albeit um, under trying circumstances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Your first winner, or well, the first one you saddled up, was a horse called Carry On Mate at Warwick Farm, and I think he was still in Max's name as trainer, though, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, it was the day after he passed away. I didn't I didn't actually go that mm. day. It was at Warwick Farm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the significance of the name didn't even make any sense until I think the papers latched onto it straight away. Um, Alan Robinson wrote it, which was he was riding most of Max's horses in the, the provincial area at the time, so that was that was fitting as well. So uh, it was uh, it was good that he's, his first ever runner as a winner, as a his first horse to race was a winner, and his last one was a winner.
0: Mm. Well, just pause for a moment, Chris, on the podcast whilst we clear a commitment. Back after this. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Esther Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pinot, and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group One winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Done Deal, Eye Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award, and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizel. The 2019 English Easter Yearling sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. My special guest is top trainer Chris Lees. By an amazing twist of fate, your first Group 1 winner was the same horse that had been your father's last Group 1 winner, good old County Tyrone. You won the 2002, or Max did, Max won the derby in Queensland. You won the Metropolitan with him a couple of years later.
1: Yeah, great thrill. Um, he was an old iron horse and um, it was great thrill even when he won the derby for Max. and. Um, that following season, later in the year, he ran in Media Puzzles Melbourne Cup mm. for Max, and then of course the following year I took over training him, um, and he ran in a Melbourne Cup for me yeah. uh, behind Mackayby Devers in her first win. Mm. Um, and then the following season, following year, he he, um, he won the Metropolitan. Um, all in all, he ran in six Sydney Cups.
0: Yeah, he did. Yep.
1: Yeah, winning, winning one and number of placings. So uh, he, he was a, a terrific horse. He raced till he was ten, and he, his last run was a second in a Newcastle Cup, and it was purely I, I just didn't want it to go wrong with him. I decided to retire him mm. for, for no real reason, and it, it was just the right time.
0: Yeah, a marvelous old horse. He had eighty-seven starts. He won nine of them, seventeen placings, about two point three million. As you said, he ran in six Sydney Cups. He won one, thank goodness, in 2006. But a- anybody remotely interested in horses uh, remain mystified, Chris, by horses like County Tyrone. How could you stay that sound for that long?
1: Never missed a beat. He, did, he raced um, spring, autumn and three or four winters in the middle. Um, yeah, very sound horse, as I said, Never, never showed any sign of, Having an issue th- throughout that whole time. Yeah, so they're, they're a rare horse these days.
0: Another early Group One winner was the 2005 Queensland Oaks with Vitesse Dane, which was probably the start of your association with Hugh Bowman.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, she was a. I actually did buy her while Max was still alive. I was just going to train her with a few mates. I had a share. And the reason I did buy her, she was by Dane Wynn, same stallion as County Tyrone. Yeah. And he was just starting to show a bit at the time when we bought her as a yearling. And and she just had one of them purple patch three-year-old late careers where, uh, where she's just starting to show staying potential. And we, we um, she had a really good run in the lead-up, mm. in the run to the roses. And um, Huey Road Retreat it was one of – I wouldn't say it was his first group one, but it was certainly early in his career
0: mm. – you must have experienced a couple of butterflies when Samantha Miss walked into your stable. You'd only been training for four years, and the late Ron Krogan sent you a Reduce Choice filly for which he'd paid $1.5 million at the English Easter sale. Now, when I mentioned her name to you on the phone the other day, Chris, you said, one word, superstar.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I might be carried away. I was basically clouded by your own horses, but um, uh, it was a thrill to be given given her to trade. I was with Ron throughout the process of buying her and looked at every. He wanted her a Redoubt's choice filly, right or wrong, and he, he actually missed on one earlier in the sale mm. that that went for a lot of lot of money. Uh, but he said, "I won't be missing the next one," and um, and he got it for one point five million, and um, from day was she came into the stable and it was during the EI period she, she was locked in, pretty much locked in our stable. She'd just come in for a look around after from the breakers and mm. she was stuck there because there was no horse movement at the time. Um, so she basically spilled in the stable. Then a preparation started. Um, she had a first run, I'll guess, late February, early March, whenever the, we're back into some normality of racing. And mm. that she went from there right through to winning the um, Champagne Stakes, beating Sebring at his only defeat through that one preparation. And mm. uh, then she came back at three, and she was very dominant against her own age and sex. She was um,
0: four straight. Was, the Princess
1: Series. Yeah, she went through the Princess Series really, and the th- the longer the races got, the more dominant she got until we took her to Melbourne for. For a cox bait, which you know, it's well documented, three hour fillies only ever been one to do it. But it just seemed the right year, it wasn't a classic year by by any stretch. And she ran a really good third mm. and um, bounced out of it well and dominated again in the Oaks.
0: Mm. She won the Oaks by three and a half lengths, started a dollar ninety and won like a dollar ninety chance.
1: Yeah, she should have won a dollar ten.
0: <laughs> you got us straight to the paddock after the Oaks. She came back to run second in the light fingers and, Chris, then the unthinkable happened. You were at the Wyong Barrier Trials and you got the phone call you hoped you'd never get.
1: Yeah, I got it. It must have been a Tuesday, say so 10 days or so after that first up run and she only had a light piece of work on, and all the work used to always be on the course proper. Uh, the club were very kind of us in that regard. And I was at after she'd worked, everything seemed fine. And but then, um, I rushed down to the trials at Wong and then got a phone call to say that, um, she had some swelling in a tendon, and Mm. scans revealed a a, quite a noticeable tear. So it was pretty heart wrenching from a trainer's point of view to to have your stable star. Um, career cut short at such an early stage, and Mm. tendons that. They can come back for him, but it's a long, drawn-out process with no guarantees, and um, mm. Ron made the decision to, to put her, put her to auction. Mm. Well,
0: Ron Krogan put her into a broodmare sale, and she set an Australian record.
1: Yeah, yeah, rightly so. She was a, such a well-performed, well-bred, and terrific-looking filly at the time, and um, yeah, set an Australian record for a mare off the track.
0: $3.8 million, and the new owner was John Singleton.
1: That's right. Yeah, so um, yeah, she's had a great life since. She's been very well looked after there at Strawberry Hill.
0: She's had six foals. Sammy's Girl was the first. She won a maiden at Wyong. Horse called son, Force, who won a two-year-old maiden at Newcastle and won a race later in Singapore uh, there's another one out of her called The Greatest. He's by Winx's sire, Street Cry. He won a maiden at Nowra and then uh, three recent wins at Mackay, Rockhampton and Emerald. You never know, do you?
1: You never know. No, up to that point, you couldn't say she certainly hasn't, um, which often can be with them really top-class mare. She hadn't set the world on fire, but um, mm. we are very fortunate to get the, the Frankel filly in um, Miss Fabulous come into our stable but I say she's got some very similar traits physically, and um, albeit um, this preparation hasn't gone the way we would have liked, she's got much untapped potential, and um, she's certainly got the quality to, to match her mum.
0: Yep, Chris, she just won't relax, will she?
1: No, look, her first preparation she was she was brilliant at her first start um, just over twelve months ago, and then unfortunately she got a bit sick and had such an extended break, but she came back and she won the T Rose um, with like a mother with just nearly as much ease as a mum and, and she went into the flight stakes uh really short price favourite and she just got she just got flushed out of touch and seen some daylight and she mm. charged up outside three deep outside the leader and still only got beat ahead. Yeah. Head ahead in the finish for, in the flight stakes at group one level and we thought this preparation would certainly be hers, but um, she's just got that little bit more difficult to to relax. But um, she's she's, um, having some remedial work as we speak, and um, I'm confident she'll be back back in the spring.
0: Mm. There's a two-year-old out of Samantha Lash, I think, by Medaglia Doro. Do you have that one?
1: I do. His name's Geo. He's a lovely, lovely colt. He's just Mm. come back into the stable, just had a short preparation, but um, got a terrific attitude, so he's certainly a good chance.
0: And is it true that Singo sent Samantha Lass overseas back to Frankel last
1: year? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So, fingers crossed again.
0: Just take a little breather there, Chris. That uh, brings to a close part one of our interview and we'll come back with Chris Lee shortly and in part two he'll pay tribute to more of his favourite horses. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Esterjarb, Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pinot and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group One winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Done Deal, Eye Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award, and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway, and Dizel. The 2019 English Easter Yearling sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue
1: online.